Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. Today on the show are Gavin Elstead and Gary Clark from Super Extra Bonus Party, who released their long-awaited third album, Late Night 99, in September. It's one of my favourite albums of the year and I was delighted to get a chance to talk through it with the lads coming up a track by track of the album. Completed by Stephen Fahey and Cormac Brady, a little about the record from the press release before we get into it. It was recorded over two weekends in late 2022 in the Meadow, Delgany, County Wicklow with Rian Trench, one of our favourites here at the point of everything. Late Night 99 is the sound of a more cohesive, thoughtful band, neatly skipping between cinematic faux westerns, technicolour psychedelia and delicate electronica. Super Extra Bonus Party have been going since around the mid-noughties. I always remember going to Hardworking Class Heroes around 2007 and seeing them outside at Meeting House Square. They're such a great live band, had a great reputation for it. Their self-titled debut album won the Choice Prize for Irish Record of the Year 2006 and they followed that with Night Horses. But then, nothing. They went their separate ways, doing various bits and pieces inside and outside of music. You might know Gav, for example, as one-third of Lumo, a monthly club night that runs at Tengu in Dublin. But then in 2017-2018, Super Extra Bonus Party came back and they released two tracks, Switzerland and Purple Heart. Around the same time, I got to talk with Gavin and Cormac on TPOE85, If you want to go back into the archives and listen for a little bit more about the good old days of Super Extra Bonus Party. We do get into it in the chat that's coming up, but if you want a little bit more. It seemed like the band were all geared up to do an album back in 2017, but suddenly again. It's five or six years later and a new Super Extra Bonus Party record, Late Night 99, which you can buy at their Bandcamp page, is only coming out now. So what delayed them? That's the first question. I put to Gary and Gav, was it simply the pandemic? You'll hear Gav talking first, answering the question. Here are Super Extra Bonus Party on The Point of Everything. a couple of years ago was it just the pandemic kind of put a stop to maybe plans for an album that you had back in like 2019 20 the absolute opposite to be honest um whenever we could i mean we we did the remote writing thing the kind of pandemic album thing is a trope that i think is kind of done to death at this point and we we've somehow avoided it because essentially we would go through phases whenever it was safe for us to meet up and and you know work on stuff together we would we would do that and we'd swap files remotely and all that kind of stuff and we would get some ideas based on that but to be honest with you it was kind of more towards the tail end of restrictions 
that we started kind of getting the material together that is on the new album it just sounded like gary was saying it just sounded a lot more cohesive and it sounded more like us rather than kind of a disparate yeah mixtape kind of vibe i guess is just is how we would look at it there always was a plan to do an album um like around 2017 18 when you're releasing those singles yes i think so but at the same time we were in no real rush to do it because we had other commitments outside of music and um i think we wanted to keep it as fun for ourselves as as we could you know so we were happy doing the singles we did our shows around then as well i'm sure without the pandemic we probably would have pushed on but i don't think we would have ended up with the album that we have now if we did purely based on the amount of songs that came from kind of the period emerging from the pandemic that ended up on the record i feel like we would have had a it probably would have been closer in tone and maybe closer stylistically to the first two records if we had used the material that we'd that we wrote kind of you know 2020 to kind of towards the end of 2021 because it was put together quite quickly I think we did we was it august last year we recorded i think it was yeah so we recorded in august last year and i think we kind of started putting the fun, finishing touches on the tunes that are on late night 99 around maybe march you know and it would take us from march until right up until we started recording to finalize the track list and decide on what's going on it because that's generally what takes us the longest is to all agree on song choices did you enjoy the process of putting it all together and recording and everything? Did it seem different, better than when you were younger? First off, I think recording out in Delgany with Rian, just because the space there is just so, yeah, I don't know, serene. It's a lovely, uh, lovely studio. So nice to get out there um, and spend a couple of days there recording. I think even from a process perspective, I think like, I can't speak to the first album, but certainly with Night Horses, we were kind of like recording in a lot of different places. Like, you know, we could get a studio for a couple of hours. We'd go out there and record, you know, drums or try and get some guitars done. But, you know, it was done if and when we could. Uh, Whereas this time out, like we were all in the studio, we're all there, we're all kind of... um, together as things were being recorded so definitely a very different process i yeah very much enjoyable i think it was a lot more focused yeah you hit on something definitely with the with the night horses recording i mean that was recorded all over the place even the drums just thinking about it we went to a studio in north dublin we weren't happy with the sound that we got there we recorded more drums Uh, my parents had a house between ardmore and dungarvan in waterford and we spent we spent a couple of weekends down there and we did some drum recording there. We recorded it in the hallway of a shared house in Terranyor where most of the band used to live. I'm pretty sure we recorded in your shed at one point, the family home out in Tala. Like, it, it really was a piecemeal kind of thing, whereas I think we made, like Gary was saying, we made a conscious effort to do everything as a band. You know, we, we set certain certain rules and guidelines for ourselves like for example if we are out recording it isn't you know i finish my parts and that's my job done for the day i'm off to greystones to go skim stones or whatever it's like 
you know, everybody has their input. We did go out to Greystones. We did go out to Greystones and Skimstones afterwards. Yeah. We did it as a as a group. We though. did it as that was done as a band as well, and that was the strictest rule. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was important, I think, for all of us just to have that focus, and it basically meant that everybody was kind of working together, and you know, there wasn't any kind of like afterthought stuff so you know if somebody was away from the studio or finished their parts and had legged it for the day there wasn't really any surprises for them because everybody was there everybody you know heard and saw what was happening and you know if if things were going off course they were able to intervene in the moment rather than you know go oh i'm not sure about that and we have to add another another day to the recording we were already kind of on a strict time and financial budget for the record so you know we we really maximized our time we we did did a lot of prep beforehand made sure that we had everything that we needed you know knew the songs inside out even though we we'd never played them live because we we hadn't played live until recently it just made for a, a more straightforward relaxed experience and yeah like gary was saying getting to do it out in delgany uh, with Reentrench in that setting really kind of uh, lowers the stress levels as well because, you know, you can get head up about something. You look out the window and you see the sea and it's like kind of golden sunlight kind of coming over the fields towards the studio. It's just it's bliss. It's absolute bliss. And kind of like it goes back to something you mentioned earlier, but it's kind of like, you know, we wrote the album, we kind of like got back together and started like intentionally making music because we're all very good friends and we all wanted like it's kind of an excuse to hang out <laughs> basically to that point as well about the the recording process like the reason we did it was so that we could all hang out have a bit of crack making music together so like it would then defeat the purpose if I kind of like okay the drums are done I'll see you later let me know how the rest of the album goes it would defeat the the kind of the purpose of of why we set out to start making music together again i don't know if i asked you this the last time i chatted to you in like 2018 or something but did you ever think of like this as a new band like forget the super extra bonus party name you know will be a new band together is this something that you ever talked about or were you always like getting the old band back together to say we talked about it is probably like stretching it was definitely like a a question that like came up and was probably as quickly dismissed just because, again, like it means, I think it means an awful lot to us as individuals um, or as a collective. So it's definitely a very different band. And there's a couple of reasons for that, namely that kind of like, um, obviously, Steve and Mike left for kind of their own personal reasons. Um, so it is, it's a different setup. It's definitely a different way of working. But kind of, I think at its core, it's, yeah, the same band. Do you want to talk through who's in the band? Gav, Gary? Sure. Yep. So myself and Gary. Um, and then... You're playing guitar? I'm playing guitar and some bass stuff live and on the record. Gary plays drums. Stephen Fahey and Cormac Brady who are in the original. Like there's been many kind of iterations of Super Extra Bonus Party but uh, those two were in the original one uh, with Mike Donnelly when they were a three-piece and just doing electronic stuff. So uh, Stephen Fahey is playing bass live mostly, plays some guitar. 
he does vocals. I do vocals on the record as well. Cormac Brady is still doing uh, electronics and kind of chips in on on production duties on a lot of the on a lot of the tracks. And then for live, we have a new guitarist, Paul Leamy, replacing uh, Steve Conlon, and he's slotted in quite well. We've known Paul for years. He's from Newbridge and is great. And then. My sister Emer Elstead has joined as well for on live duties, so she kind of sings. We have a lot of tracks that have um, female vocals on them, uh, so Emer takes the lead on those and any kind of. And she does some backing on some of the, the newer stuff as well, and is quite good. Uh, plays a mean tambourine as she well. She plays a mean tambourine, 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 tambourine. That works. That works. It does work. I got there eventually. But uh, yeah, having Emer is great. And then longtime associate, Poggy Dillon, who's on the record, on the track Doom the Veil, he plays live with us as well. Like he, he does his he does his song and he does it very well. <laughs> it must be nice having this kind of new blood coming through, like giving you a bit of an, an impetus, fresh impetus. Yeah, it's great. Um, and certainly like having, having Emer live as well. Like, yeah, it's just a different kind of... Um, dimension i guess to the the tunes that you, you know like historically if we were doing a song that had a vocalist it would kind of like what cole would do is like maybe chop chop the vocals up and like manipulate them live i guess or kind of like have them triggered through a sampler so it's great to actually yeah be able to play some of those songs live which is great it is good there's a novelty there um, not just for the new members, for, but for us as well, because we haven't played live in so long. It was, it was nice, and it was, it was good, kind of getting back, getting the muscle memory back for some of the older stuff. Although to be fair, we we don't really play a lot of stuff off the first two records. We play two songs off the first records. I'm pretty sure we don't play. We didn't play anything off Night Horses. We didn't. No. no. And then we played some of the singles that we released. I think two of the three that we released in the kind of intervening period and the rest is all new stuff. And to be honest with you, it's grand kind of keeps us, keeps us interested. It's a nice balance between old and new, you know, for people who want to hear the older stuff. I I think it's important to have that balance, but yeah, it is also important for us to keep ourselves interested as well because we want to, (laughs) we want to enjoy playing, you know, when did Night Horses come out? Was that 2009? 2009. Yeah, 15 years next year. Whoa. Just saying, just putting it out there, guys. How old is the first one? 16? Is it? 16 years. Ooh. It's grim enough. Gotta get it? those uh, re-releases ready. 20-year vinyl copy. The trick is that it's backwards. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll talk to the new album, Late Night 99. First of all, do you want to talk about the uh, album title? I know that there's. Oh, yeah. I know there's a good story behind it. Uh, yeah, there is. I was getting a train home to Newbridge from Houston, and uh, it was it was it was late. It was late enough. It was kind of come close to maybe like nine or half nine or something like that. And uh, I looked out the window of the train and I saw uh, <laughs> saw Stephen's dad, uh, Dom, uh, running for the same train that I was on clutching uh supermax 99 and i was like wow late night 99 i was thinking like that is that is some move that's some move seemingly he had he had, he plays uh five aside regularly 
and it's kind of like it's almost like a little treat afterwards or something and i i i can totally get behind that i'd love a 99 after a game of five aside regardless of the hour you know so that's where the that's where the name came from as as per usual so inside so clicky so in jokey but that's our modus operandi i think yeah one of those like and I know you've just done this, but one of those kind of silly things where, like, as you're explaining it to someone else, they're like, ah, it's not that funny. Yeah, it's kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> no. But to us, it's hilarious. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, it's it's the one kind of, it's the one thing that I think we've kept up. Like, even though the music has definitely, well, to us anyway, the music has definitely changed. The kind of, <laughs> the almost insular way that we go about things definitely hasn't. I think that's the one thing that's kind of, remained consistent although we try you know we try i think we were i think we're a lot better at letting people in now and we're we're definitely more serious like we're doing an interview with you now and i can remember off the top of my head doing an interview with somebody on phantom where they tried to ask us questions and i'm pretty sure we just spent maybe 10 to 15 minutes talking about wrestling and like not answering their questions at all to the point that they just started getting really really frustrated and looking back on that, I'm kind of a bit like, oh, that was a bit rough. Actually, I'm pretty sure we apologized to them as well the next time, the time we went in. Oh, no, the next time we went in. They had us back, unbelievably. But, um, yeah, no, we try and let people in. But, again, the humor thing is another kind of facet of what makes it interesting for us. It has to make us laugh. So, you know, or it has to be, we have to enjoy every facet of what we're doing. Otherwise, it doesn't work. It's not, it's not worth it because it's you know at this stage it's it's a very time consuming thing so why not make it as fun as humanly possible was that one of the reasons why like say version one of super extra bonus party kind of stopped the the fun had or you stopped enjoying it as much i think yeah sorry go ahead i i i'm just gonna say i think there's probably a lot of a lot of reasons why it kind of we took that hiatus i think kind of yeah we were all at various stages of our lives where like you know some people could like you know maybe dedicate more time to kind of being in a band or you know maybe trying to pursue a a career in music or maybe trying to like seize the opportunity that we had and yeah i guess other people were like at a stage of their lives where like you know that opportunity or the option wasn't there or yeah i think a lot of a lot of different things but ultimately it was like you know like there's no point in doing this if we're not enjoying it if no you know we're not having fun it's uh it's defeating the purpose um yeah i don't know there's probably a a better answer that Cav's going to give you. No, I, th- I think that's bang on. It is pretty much down to different people being at different stages in their lives. I mean, th- I think the important thing was that once the dust kind of settled, it was quite clear that there was no, there was no real personal thing behind why the band stopped. There was, you know, there wasn't an issue with relationships in the band because we were still friends and we were you know like we'd still see each other constantly still hang out still go to gigs together all of that kind of stuff still be involved in music but it just wasn't wasn't working whatever we were doing wasn't working i mean 
if you if you wanted to look even further back than that, I would say we kind of with night horses it was a bit of a disappointment looking back because to us it was a better record than the first one but it didn't really get the same attention that the first one did and that kind of it kind of wore us down i think the more effort that we tried to put into because we had to we had to really ramp it up in order for people to hear it because we, you know we were still I felt like we were still kind of operating at the top of our game in terms of live stuff. It's just for whatever reason, we had just hit we had just hit a wall and we weren't we basically weren't going over it. We were supposed to go to we were supposed to go to South by Southwest and I think we had a we had a fairly long and intense band meeting about it. And ultimately decided that it wouldn't be worth our while to do it. Because essentially it was viewed as this is the next step. So if we go over to South by Southwest, we have these contacts. We, you know, and like it's a total crapshoot. And to be honest with you, might not have happened. Probably wouldn't have happened. Whatever. But like to us, you know, it meant a lot. and it was It was really exciting and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, when push came to show, it was essentially like, okay, if, if we go over there and we meet these people and they're into what we're doing... And there is a possibility that we could do this full time. Is everybody going to be able to do this? And the room was kind of split. And at that point, I kind of thought, okay, well, look, we've done as much as we can do with this uh, iteration of the band or this kind of uh, point of the band. I don't think we can, you know, we're not we're not going to be lifers here. And that's fine. And, you know, it just... It just fizzled out, essentially, you know? Yeah, and I think we took a very long route to getting to the point now where, like, you know, I think things probably should have organically gone, as in, like, the reason for us being in a band was, and, you know, should always be to, like, you know, have fun and make tunes with your friends. And I think maybe that other stuff that kind of like the business side of things for want of a better phrase, like just, yeah, I don't know, maybe introduced like a distraction or an expectation when actually, you know, should have just been like us making tunes and having a bit of crack. You know, I think we said it earlier, but like it's the point where it stopped being great crack. It's just, it, it, it fizzled out. It wasn't like, you know, no big kind of, bust up or whatever it was just like oh you know are we are we all still enjoying this the way we should probably not maybe let's just like tie a bow on it for the time being and then come back in whatever seven years (laughs) 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 write a few songs see what happens i guess gav do you see that in other bands when they're kind of like trying maybe that bit too hard or something because you kind of got into management you're managing silverbacks not saying that that's anything to do with silverbacks but just seeing kind of behind the scenes of stuff can you kind of notice when bands are trying like that little bit too too hard or, or they're not enjoying it maybe it's definitely a lot harder for any band i would say like um it's so quick now as well, isn't it? It's just like, ah, it's, it's almost like you release your debut album and the pressure is almost on you, I feel. Yeah, and I would say that the the kind of success of bands coming from Ireland over the last couple of years has definitely 
put a bit of pressure back on younger bands to kind of, you know, go for it, make it quick, go, go now, you know, like you have to do it, you have to do it, you have to do it. And there are certain people in, in bands who, who can do that, who can make it a reality because they either, you know, they're, they're okay. They, they, you know, they have whatever supportive parents or they have a decent job that allows them to the freedom to go off and tour whenever they want. And, you know, they're not, they're not, you know, living on porridge or whatever, but like, it's, it's hard, man. Like things are getting squeezed. People have to start making decisions on what gigs they're going to go to. And there, there are so many shows on all the time. Everybody is vying for attention. It's no secret that pre-sales of tickets basically give a band a breather, you know, a cushion, whatever way you want to put it. And you'll you see that on social media and all that kind of stuff, just like bands being like, you know, buy tickets to our show, you know, all that kind of stuff, all that. Like, it's 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 hard. It's really hard. And, you know, uh, Silverbacks are lucky because got where they got because they make great music and the right people saw them at the right time and not every band is going to have that so you have the kind of throwing a few bob into PR or you know like basically pinning your hopes on somebody coming over to see it or you know you, you get you know you get offered a London gig we'll go over to London wow class playing London like unless it's a weeknight or unless somebody really wants to see it. Like, basically what I'm saying is that uh, everything is squeezed so much that the chances of, of really kind of taking off, to me, seem a lot slimmer than they were when, when myself and Gary and the lads first kind of started. But yeah, I do, I do, think, it's, I do think it's tough. And like, I, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to get easier. You know, there, there has to be a breaking point at some point. But what is it? You know, uh, on that cheery note. <laughs> okay, we'll talk through the album now, track by track. Uh, the Hill of Tony Allen. What an interesting title to start uh, the album with. What does that mean? Okay, so the Hill of Allen is just outside Newbridge and the original demo had like a weird i would say annoying drum bit in it that like it was like a different rhythm to the the beat that gary ended up playing on the record and like it it would go concurrently and i kind of thought oh cool it kind of sounds like afrobeat like uh, tony allen hill of tony allen whoa so it's like one of those stupid working titles that we think are really funny that that just ended up sticking because we didn't really want to try and change anything about it it's obviously an instrumental track so there isn't really anything in the you know there's no lyrics to hang a title off so you're just like goes back to that uh thing of us just really insular esoteric stupid jokes that we find hilarious that actually again you're forcing us to explain these and they're not funny yeah let's (laughs) dig into all of these inside jokes in your van absolutely no no they're not uh you sound like you're bullying us (laughs) (laughs) i want answers (laughs) Um, why did you start off with an instrumental song? There's a couple on the album. Is it something that you gave great thought to or was it just like, ah, oh, this just sounds like a, an opener? I think it was more, I, I, well, I, 
I feel like you probably had in your head, Gav, that it was always going to be the opener. But I, I'd i say it was probably more just like, again, to that point of trying to make a cohesive record and trying to like listen to the songs in different orders and see, well, what way does it like... What sounds best? What kind of how 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 best can we make these ten songs flow together? And yeah, I think that just works as an opener. That's pretty much it. As the kind of as the rest of the tracks on the record, like as as we decided on, you know, the demos that we were listening to and deciding on a track list, it became very obvious that in order, like we all really wanted Tony Allen to be on the album, but the only way that it was going to fit is if we put it first. And I mean. Yeah, it makes sense. It's a nice kind of tie-in bit as well um, to the first two records. Adventures is an instrumental track and Super Team Go off Night Horses is an instrumental track. So I think we were kind of echoing that as well, subconsciously. Maybe that's what I was doing anyway, looking back on it. But yeah, I think it came down to where it sounded best on the record and it didn't really fit anywhere else. Track two is Line Before the Line, which features Emma from Silverbacks. Where where did she come into the planning of it? Was it just you wanted a, vo- a voice and she was like someone that you wanted? Uh, no, she was the, the, voice the voice that we wanted, yeah. Obviously, I'm biased, but like Emma's, you know, like the songs that Emma sings on the Silverbacks records are amazing and her, her vocals are amazing and... and when I started managing them, I used to refer to Emma as, you know, like Silverback's secret weapon, but this is totally reductive because she is... She's not a, a secret. She's not a secret and she's amazing. Like, Emma is amazing. So as soon as I kind of finished writing the song, I always wanted it to be a duet and I always wanted it to, you know, like I wanted that kind of Lee Hazelwood, Nancy Sinatra kind of vibe. Uh, it ended up not really sounding like that, but that's kind of the the thing that I was going for. And I was like think emma would really suit that so i sent her the song and i was like listen no pressure doing a record would love you to sing in it would be amazing i think within like two days she had sent me back her part and i was like oh thank god this is amazing (laughs) so yeah and like again super easy to like super easy to work with and you know again because we had prepped and, and all that kind of stuff the recording was very 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 straightforward
there's strings, glockenspiel, and melodica on this track. So I'm guessing it was was it a a hard one to to get right in the in the studio with all that stuff going on? Did you have fun making it? Did have fun. The drum sound was that was a tricky one to get right because. I can't remember what the, the brief basically was they gave me, Gav, but it was like something to the effect of like, make it sound very light. And I was like, I don't know. It's the tricky thing sometimes, particularly, you know, there's a, there's a good tempo to the tune. So like even playing it live, it's kind of like, I don't know. The urge is always there to like go a little bit harder. So yeah, tricky to like play as lightly as possible and uh, get the tone of the song right. But uh yeah, it turned out great. Yeah, I'm a devil for kind of having reference points when it comes to writing songs. I think it should sound like this, or like I was saying, like me and Nancy. Mine Before the Line doesn't sound like that. I also thought that it sounded like what Tinder Sticks sound like, having never listened to Tinder Sticks. And then I listened <laughs> to Tinder Sticks and I was like, absolutely does not sound like this at all. And then, um, and this is, w- this is one thing that I'm very proud of, and it, is, it essentially informed the drum sound. There is a very famous... I would say German rock band. If you listen to the start of line before the line, it's cribbed from somewhere. We'll say mm, heavily influenced by. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So that kind of, that was my initial thinking on the drums and the way that the guitar should sound and everything being very metronomic, but like still I enjoyed the the idea of like having this really metronomic rhythm section and you know everything is like on like chop 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 and like this very kind of like very um, you know like for us an incredibly uh open and emotional uh lyric and melody over it you know I, re- I really enjoyed the the interplay between the two Do you want to talk about the um, um, emotional lyrics of of the song Yeah I guess so <sighs> it's it's at the core it's about loss it's not really you know it's not really about the loss of a person but it is it's about a kind of an overwhelming sense of loss between two people and it's yeah it it, it it's a tough one it was a tough one to write and it was it was a tough one to perform and it still is a tough one to perform but i think that there's also kind of a a lightness that comes with it as well trying to stuff that stuff down or try and kind of push it to the back of your mind is never going to work so if you have an outlet why not use it so i did that i was very worried about what everybody else was going to think you know because like we you know we've been friends for years and we we know you know we're we're very close and all that kind of stuff so everybody knows what's happening in everybody's lives and everybody knew what the what the song was about but it, it, it i was worried that it wasn't us it wasn't bonus party you know like flying around stage with hurleys and you know like breaking up guitars that kind of thing and uh it was nice that it was nice that everybody supported it and it kind of opened the door a bit more to you know things that we might not have considered before in terms of the record or you know, future writing or whatever. I thought, just thought it was quite a nice thing to have. And 
empty vessels make the most noise I recall a man once said I don't want to scream but I need to shout For my voice to rise in a tone Soft and sweet and somewhere in the middle We can meet at that place, you know It's called Understanding Street If we allow for our words to uh, Doom to Veil is the third track on the album Features... SMC sounds like he's a, a friend who you got on on the song rapping. Yeah, are we? Uh, uh, yeah, it's Puggy and it's mentioned earlier in the. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. 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 So yeah. basically, the SMC it's actually a it's like a band uh, that includes Puggy and uh, <laughs> Stephen Fahey. So yeah, he's credited as featuring on his own band's album but yeah it was great like i mean poggy is a very good friend to all of us and like does a huge amount for for us for the band um and then on top of that he's just a fucking unbelievable singer so it was great to to be able to to write a song and get him on the album because yeah and especially live like it just yeah adds a serious amount of energy to the show we didn't even really have to give him a topic. He just kind of decided, you know, that he would talk about, you know, like the way words are misconstrued and how language can be used as as weapons and it's more weaponized now. And I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was a really interesting concept. And yeah, he, he absolutely smashed it. He like, he is a great friend, you know, he, he essentially acts as as a quasi tour manager for us when we do play live and his influence is, is kind of clear on all of us it's quite it's very positive and it's you know it's always like this is great you know you shouldn't take all of this for granted and it is it's really it's really nice having him around and it was nice to be able to share what he has to offer as part of our record feather helmet repertoire i've picked out a lyric and in time i've got to learn not to want it not to seek and resolve it it feels like it's more of like a mature kind of a sentiment is that kind of how you look at this album as well that it is more of a mature super extra bonus party oh god is Uh, that something you thought about like oh no it is and i i kind of you know like isn't that what being in a band is is trying to kind of escape maturity escaping you know the the onward marching of time that kind of thing yeah so Stephen wrote the song and wrote the lyrics that you're referring to and i can't really speak for him but i do think that that's i do think that that is the correct observation is just to kind of it's it's an interesting thing to think about you know like we are getting older our, our priorities change and you know our views on things change and you know we're a bit more patient and open than we would have been when we were younger and i think that that is reflected in certainly in my lyrics anyway and and from from the looks and sounds of things from stevens as well is you know it it is a change whether it's maturity or not i don't know i mean we called our record late night 99 so what do you think and we're still called super Super extra Extra bonus party yeah uh track five is ultraviolet do you want to talk about what this one is about uh that is another good question i really wish fats was here to answer (laughs) this get him on the phone there um yeah like ultra yeah ultraviolet is i would say another kind of comment on interpersonal relationships now i I don't mean it's like uh you know it's not between partners or whatever i think it's just like a wider comment on 
you know, how people kind of interact with each other, how they feel about each other, you know, greater understanding between two people, a group of people, whatever. Could be about us, I don't know. I'll have to ask him. lyrics i mean that's that's steven's puzzle to uh to to solve for you but in terms of the tune itself uh when i first heard the demo i was like oh yeah this is yeah that was one of the first ones that i was like yeah that is definitely going on the record i don't know what he had done steven's writing is great because he does something that i spectacularly fail to do every time i demo something which is to leave space for other people so I'm like, oh, do you know what it sounds good there? And suddenly there's like a, you know, there's a full track there and nobody really has any wriggle room. But Stephen's stuff is, is quite open and you can kind of shift things around. And But there's one kind of, there's like a reverse guitar line on the on the record. And that was in the demo and I was like, oh, that's class. So I was very keen on working on that as soon as humanly possible. And then when you put the, the um, lyrics down and recorded the vocals it's like yeah yeah this is definitely like it's not even a contender this is nailed on so this is also yeah just a, a an observation the unintended consequence of like having yourself and Fatsy singing on the record and like contributing the lyrics which wouldn't have been like we didn't operate that way previously we would have had like guest vocalists but now we have to answer questions about the lyrics which just didn't happen before yeah <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, and you I said mean, you weren't going to ask us any tough, tough questions. questions. Yeah, and as well, yeah, I'm going to make sure that neither of us sing on the next one. If we do the next one, so don't want to do this again. <laughs> but did you? So there was no sing by the band on the first couple of albums. No, they were all guest vocalists wow. because I think, uh, and this comes with somewhat comes with maturity, I guess, is that I felt while I was, you know, like in the first kind of run of the band i never felt confident enough to put lyrics to something or to sing something just for whatever reason and like i mean i don't like standing behind them sort of yeah it's just like and i suppose at the time it didn't really there wasn't really anything you know i tried writing a couple of times but nothing really there was nothing happening that would make you know that would go oh yeah no, i should write a song about that or something like that do you know what i mean or maybe i just didn't have the right inspiration or i felt you know I, I i didn't feel confident enough in myself to put that forward and you know like accept whatever you know notes or criticism i just i think i i couldn't at the time or i i i don't think yeah i, ju- I just didn't think i could do that and then 
with now and then with the singles and all that kind of stuff that's that's where the maturity comes in where it's like okay i'm just gonna like the worst i can say is this is crap and we're not your friend anymore uh, <laughs> that would be pretty bad <laughs> now that you say it <laughs> i think as well just like the way not not intentionally and not as if there was like a a, a a rule or anything but like just the way we operated as a band like the kind of the thing that really interested us was like getting guest vocalists on it on a song and seeing like you know what direction they can take it into whereas yeah to the earlier point about like writing a more cohesive record also like then being able to perform those songs live without relying on you know a, a chopped vocal sample or you know writing a 10 song album and then being like actually we can only play two of these live because the other eight songs have a guest vocalist and you know yeah so like so a necessity yeah. as well in a way no i mean probably subconsciously but yeah more just we have these tools at our disposal why why not use them yeah just like gavin fatsier like have really nice voices they're very good singers so yeah um (laughs) don't blush gavin (laughs) uh did you enjoy the the singing of your own lyrics the writing of your own lyrics gav uh i did Yeah. yeah yeah it was tough at times because you you it's hard not to agonize over something because you want something to be as 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 good as it can possibly be and without kind of putting too fine a point on it we we're incredibly ruthless with each other in in like in a really like in a really friendly kind of you know but we are we're incredibly we're like we're we're tough on the music like it has to be good we have to we have to be happy with it so if there's something that's kind of like oh not sure about that it's it's a tough one and but it you know it's a net positive because you're essentially pushing yourself to be as good as you possibly can be and it's good to have that in the back of your mind as well because you know i you know people people are going to listen to this or you know you want people to listen to it and you want them to enjoy it why would you half arse something do you know well that's how i look at it i mean and i think that kind of thing is fairly important when it comes to you know putting yourself out there um the process of like writing rewriting recording vocals yeah can do that all day but it's just the initial sending of an mp3 to three other people or four other people and going oh god i hope they like this do you know what I mean? That's the that's the scary part. The initial kind of like, okay, here's a vulnerable part of myself that I'm putting out here. Please don't hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> that and yeah, you kind of said the word that I was gonna say, but like, there's you know, there's a vulnerability with being creative or writing something where you're like, you know, I'm at a point where I think this is good enough to send to my friends and have them listen to it and get their feedback. And then you're like, oh, shit, what if it's actually crap? What if I, you know, what if I am terrible? What if they laugh when they listen to it? And obviously that never happens. Gav said we're ruthless. I think we're also very supportive and like... (laughs) Supportively ruthless. Paws of Steel, you mentioned earlier about having the uh, opening track kind of a throwback to the first couple of albums. I guess this is a throwback as well. You've got Nina Hines 
on there who's been on uh, Night Horses anyway I don't know if she was on the first one probably not she was yeah yeah was she, yeah. she was on um, Sky- on the Skyline and oh, Dorothy Goes Home on the first record Friendship with Cormac goes back years and years and years. Oh. Years. Wow. We had heard the demo of Pause of Steel and we're really Another into funny it. title. Yeah, we're really into it. It is about dogs, isn't it? Or, well, no, the title is something to do with dogs. I don't know. I'm not sure if the song, like, again, you'd have to ask Nina. It probably isn't. So I don't want to do her a <laughs> disservice. It's definitely not about dogs. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so we had heard the demo and we're really into it and then I think the next we had heard of it was like oh Nina's gonna sing on this I'm like great and then heard it and we're like oh my god this is amazing Co has a very defined style of production and Nina's vocals fit in it so nicely like it just sounds like you know it sounds like that they're an act in, their, in themselves do you know what I mean like it's it just it fits really well and it just it just sounds right, you know. I'd always thought that Cohen Mike, Mike who used to be in the band, were excellent producers, and you know were kind of punching above their weight on the first two on the first two records. Like you know they were making amazing stuff, and you know constantly surprising all of us with kind of the level of inventiveness. And with this record as well, like Cohen's still knocking out home runs. As far as I can see, because like, Pause of Steel is amazing. Like, I mean, there's there's contributions from the rest of us on that record, but like, it would be you know mainly a a kind of a co tune. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think like you know he has his own signature and kind of put the put the lion's share of work into it, and you know it's just it's just a really nice song. You know, if you can be. If you can be biased about a tune on your own record, yeah, it's like, it's really nice. Really, really nice. Track seven and eight might take a, as one, two instrumental songs, Predictions and Lonely Roller. Why are these two together on the album? Predictions was meant to be and is, I'm pretty sure, like a kind of an interlude, you know? Same again, Cole had that, that track knocking around for a while. And we wanted to do something with it. It was definitely good enough to go on the record, but it's just what. So we're like, yep, yeah, that that's a nice little kind of palate cleanser before the second side of the record. And we really like we we've had those kind of tracks on the previous two albums, so it was nice to do that. And then Lonely Roller is uh, a song about a rollerblader in Newbridge. Um, there's this guy who kind of rollerblades around uh, the town. Now, he's not like, he doesn't do, you know, he doesn't go to skate park and doesn't do, like, tricks or anything like that. He just glides in and out of people. 
and like kind of does these really kind of flashy moves and you know kind of you know almost does the kind of pull the this is great for an audio medium pulls the sunglasses down and kind of looks over the rims and as if to say see that did you we were intrigued by him and we didn't really know what his story was so that song is kind of like his journey shall we say without any kind of lyrics you know like when you think of this guy putting on his wraparound shades and his weird bird helmet and you know cycling shorts and rollerblades and off to do another lovely day of rolling around Newbridge that's the soundtrack you know it's essentially a soundtrack to a movie about this this guy that's great soundtracking his day pretty much yeah play it for him sometime does he know the song exists I can't remember we've definitely we've definitely found out a bit more about him but I don't know whether he knows the song exists hmm (laughs) something to check Corpse is the penultimate song of the album. The first single of the album as well. Do you want to tell me about this track? Again, yeah, this is a, a Stephen Fahey creation. He says it's about burnout, making promises you can't follow through on, frustration with yourself as a result, trying to get other people to change to suit you, as opposed to taking the responsibility on yourself. Again, like, heady, heady stuff. Yeah, but it's also, I, like, probably the most fun song uh, particularly live, it's just like there's a lot happening. It's like quite, uh, I don't know, like the the drums throughout are kind of like that like marching band type of a buzz. And yeah, it's like, it's it's really fun. And then, yeah, you kind of scrape beneath the surface and the subject matter is a little bit heavier. But yeah, great crack recording it as well. There's like, I don't know, four different snare drum and kick drum tracks on there um just to try and make it sound as like big and as like like a marching band as possible an an obvious first single off the album sort of thing yeah i think so i mean i i don't i don't really think that we had too many kind of disagreements about what tracks we were going to put out i think the corpse was definitely we kind of decided that we wanted to do something a bit different in terms of the first single and i think the corpse fit that bill because it sounded like us but it was still a bit it's still a bit mad like the marching band thing we were really happy about like that was in the demo and um because it was quite a straightforward track at start then we put a marching band snare on it 
So we wanted to try something a little bit different and just totally transform the tune. So then when we came to record it, there was all this kind of, there's a lot more kind of uh, energy in it than like if we just used a normal drum kit. And it was like, myself and Gary recorded the drums on it and it was great crack. Like having that, like that was, that was way more fun than playing a guitar, hitting a big <laughs> drum for ages. But uh, yeah, tiring no. stuff though. Huh? Tiring, tiring stuff. stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll tell you one thing that's changed: the level of energy. <laughs> yeah, you're not you're not as uh, as full of energy, full of beans as you were in your twenties. No, so absolutely wake, not. Wake up and yeah, parts of your body hurt after a gig. <laughs> you're like, ah, Jesus, this is rubbish, isn't it? But yeah, um, so that and just like trying to make something that we could send to to people that would catch their attention that also might work on radio and you know that, that satisfied us as well and the corpse fit the bill you know like when we heard the final mix we were like okay yeah yeah it's pretty much exactly what we were trying to do serious like i mean I, i'm sure we will get to it eventually but just to interject and a serious shout out for reentrench here he essentially engineered the record and definitely kind of gave us a steer on a couple of things and was important in that I don't think he ever said no to anything that we said we wanted to try and kind of had had good ideas like for example Gary was talking earlier about like um almost called it wrath of <laughs> the working title for line before the line Gary said earlier that it required a specific type of drum sound and I gave Reen my reference points, and he's like, oh, yeah. And put together, cobbled together a drum kit uh, using very specific cymbals, very specific snare, all that kind of stuff. And I heard the recording back, and it's like, nearly tears in my eyes, just like, oh, he gets me, he finally gets me. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, no, he he's he performed out with skin on the, on the engineering and suppose yeah somewhat on the production front as well yeah <laughs> yeah it definitely yeah to like without sounding cheesy i think he definitely understood oh yeah like yeah like us <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not an easy task um yeah. but yeah he kind of like understood what we were trying to achieve with the album with each song and yeah definitely helped us to get the results that we were hoping for yeah for sure and finally fumbly lane which i'm Presuming a lot of people would know in uh, Dublin. Is that what it's named after? The the fine uh, eatery? I'm going to let uh, the the author, the auteur of the track, uh, discuss that with you. Yeah, uh, so um, Fumbly Lane is, that's where my dad's from. I think it's the first song I actually ever wrote, or certainly one of the first ones that I would have kind of brought to the lads as like a demo when we were demoing tunes for the album um i did have a very lofty idea of putting either vocals or like spoken word or something over it and then i recorded myself and i was like no we're not doing that (laughs) we'll delete that fine thanks and yeah i don't know i think like the album going from the title to a lot of the subject matter i think there's a lot of us our family our friends just like yeah like our our lives on there kind of thematically um 
that doesn't sound too ridiculous a statement. And yeah, I guess, yeah, I don't know. It's just a bit of a, an ode to um, to my folks, to my family and to, yeah. Great. This is So this is the fourth instrumental song on the album. Did you ever think like, oh, it could be a holy instrumental album? Do you think that might be something that you might think about in future or anything? Or I think if we were going to do something shorter form. No, we like, I mean, we, we spend an awful lot of time trying to decide what kind of music we're going to make and how we're going to make something cohesive. And I think, especially after this record, the idea that we would go back to being a a purely instrumental band, given that we've now kind of put ourselves forward, himself and Stephen have anyway, as as vocalists, I, I don't think, I don't think we want to do that, you know? But that's not to say that we aren't going to get people to collaborate with us because that's a big that's a big part of of what we do but the instrumental stuff i mean yeah we we've talked about doing something like a little companion piece to the record and i imagine some of that will be instrumental but yeah a wholly instrumental record i i can't see it maybe yeah maybe a shorter form thing i think there was always like thinking back to the the other two albums there was always i'm trying to remember but like definitely like at least two or three kind of purely instrumental on both records would there be yeah so it's like yeah i don't know it's always been part of the type of music that we make for sure um but yeah to gav's point i think like we have two very very good singers in the band so i mean it's down to kind of like the the songs we write and whether there's a space there for vocals to be added in but yeah i don't know yeah i don't know if we'd consciously do something that was purely instrumental because it'd be that'd be a a fairly big departure again from who we are i don't think we do anything consciously do you know what i mean like i think that we we set out to make one thing and then we do something completely different. And I think that if we set out to make an instrumental record, we'd have an album full of pop songs. Like, it's just the way it happens, you know, because we we get distracted quite easily and, you know, we try different things. We're open to, to changing things up, so there's no point in us trying to set out. Like, basically all that we can do is if we set out to make music that sounds, you know, that sounds good to us and that we would like to listen to and we would like to release and whatever form that takes then yeah that's that's us great well congrats on the album have you thought about what's next i'm presuming you haven't thought too far ahead you've got some big life changes happening soon in the band yeah some big life changes um there isn't really anything too kind of massive happening like i said i think we're we're kind of talking about maybe doing something as a little companion piece to the record and we're still kind of figuring out what that might be or what it might look like so we might have yeah like another couple of months maybe um but i would say yeah probably towards kind of summer next year might start putting a few more plans in place but nothing nothing in the diary for now cool well congrats on the album and thanks for talking to you today thanks Owen thanks